Hello, friends. Or should I say, plain thieves. Don't make me do the old soft shoe shuffle. I don't like what you're wearing. How the company you keep. How have you managed that? You're not exactly their Aryan archetype. Spies from another dimension. As I said to Mr. Barton, think of them as Russia. The only one who can do classic. Better written. Pillar of hope. Better written. Very cliche. Better written. Pillar of hope. Better written. Very cliche. But I still found that that story was fairly damn boring. That's all this year is. You don't even have to watch it in order. Better written. Very cliche. Who cares about Doctor Who? Series 12, Episode 2, Spyfall, Part 2. Two episodes in less than a week. Some could say we're in the golden age of content right now. Written again by showrunner Chris Chibnall, this episode is definitely one to give rise to opinions. Voicing those opinions this week will be myself, Neo from Australia. Back now with my regular mic after a jaunt through the United Kingdom in which Ingiga lives, living to be livid. And there's also mirrors from America sporting enough takes for two. Yeah. (laughs) Now, usually I give a very quick summary of episodes at this point, but for this one, I would like to hear you guys try and give one off the top of your head. Um, you want to go uh, first, or should I? I'll, I'll give it a shot. Um, so let me see. Uh, uh, oh fuck. Um, the the doctor has to. Okay, uh, the doctor. The doctor recruits two famous women to do um, uh, a chase through uh, history <laughs> to undermine the machinations of the, 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 the new master who wants to help Lenny Henry turn uh, humanity into hard drives because he really hates his mum and um, uh, uh, oh yeah and fucking uh, it's the, let's do the time war again there you go and of course it's revealed at the start that um the next step in the master's plan is crashing this plane with no survivors, but they get out of it. <laughs> oh shit! Yeah, yeah, the the blink thing as well. Uh, yeah, <laughs> so much going on. There is a ton of stuff going on in this episode. I feel like we buried the lead that um the master was a Nazi. <laughs> this episode, he was parading around disguised as a white Nazi officer. This episode. <laughs> <laughs> well. <laughs> I mean, it was little. It was an actual Nazi uniform. And then when the doctor thwarted yeah. his plan, she turned off his ethnicity filter and told the real Nazis he's <laughs> a British spy. <laughs> 77 years later, after who knows what. After 77 years in a sodding concentration camp. Yeah, oh, after God. that is when he gets his message to the doctor that he blew up Gallifrey because they um, messed around with a kid, a timeless child. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, and the fam were in this ep. Did, did we mention the fam? Graham danced with his laser shoes. We, we did not mention the fam at all. <laughs> and I think for good reason. After the first episode, I assumed that maybe they would keep going with the plot about Vor and what's going on there. But I, it seems like they just went really soft on the Vor, which is a shame because I prefer hard Vor. Yeah, Vor <laughs> is more powerful than most nations. Yeah, all we got was that big monologue near the end about how uh, tech companies are bad and stuff, which is like, it's a bit low-hanging fruit, I'd say, 2020. Mm-hmm. Just my thought. And it's hard. It makes perfect sense to pair this with an episode about spies and espionage, but there's absolutely no 
engagement with that idea. See, as you were saying that sentence, I even thought you could also link it to the, that sort of non-theme of fascism as well. Because these yeah. things do connect, you know, social media, neo-fascism, resurgence and stuff, and espionage, uh, blah, 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 and all those things. But the episode just doesn't make any attempt to draw those things like, together, which is impressive. Like, it's, you know, you, 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 you'd have to try to write something that this that is this close to making sense, but completely refuses to. No, I, I really agree with this point, and I'm not even being funny here, but I think the lack of conventional writing, I can't say skill, that's mean, the lack of conventional writing in general in this two-parter is so fascinating. Like, I've been harping on this a bit this week, but... You know, in the first part of Spyfall, when we get no setup that the master's not really a sprinter, but the big reveal that he's the master is the doctor saying, hey, I read a thing off screen that you're good at sprinting. And now you just mentioned you're not good at sprinting. <gasps> you're the master. Like that. It's fascinating to me because there's no way Chris Tumnall did not think, oh, I could set up the master being a sprinter thing when 13 Thirst talks about him as O to the fam. Like, there's no way he could not have thought of that. He's a professional writer. He would have thought of this. So why the hell didn't he do it? Why isn't it in the script? This, it, it tickles my mind. It's so fascinating. And like in this episode with the disparate thematics, don't you, don't you find this interesting that it's so like not how scripts are meant to work, but this is getting yeah. produced, you know, on the BBC. It's a huge show. This is real. We're watching it. Why is it so strange? Bad is the word I was going to use. Yeah, I mean, the episode, I mean, this whole two-parter, it's essentially a giant shit post, And this is somehow <laughs> making it onto the airwaves. And, you know, I mean, you say it's fascinating. And yeah, in a sort of morbid way, it is. But at the same time, I, I'm i not exactly looking at it as some interesting new frontier of experimental television. It is just shit. It is just shit. There is just... I, I, I can't, you know, come up with some great, like... I mean, I mean, you know, it's not experimental film. It's just <laughs> failing at very simple tasks. Hey, if David Lynch was doing this, we'd all love it. It's not just uh, audience hostile. It's quality hostile. <laughs> well, it's reality hostile. I, I would say I enjoyed this episode. Like, a lot of it was in the vein of the last five minutes of Spyfall Part 1, which I could truly enjoyed. And a, a lot of it... I even enjoyed some of the fam stuff this episode, and I normally hate those guys. But the cutting from Graham's laser tap shoe, old shoe shuffle to, like, Nazi theatrics is like, this is amazing stuff to actually be on the television. You know, there's a lot to love here. Uh, but there were moments where I was back in that Series 11 mode of, like, not just this is bad, but this is bad. Like, the Doctor, you know, a white blonde woman leaving the, the, the newly... Um, the new master to Nazis for that long. And like Mira said, probably to get hauled off to a concentration camp. Like this is like, you've got to, got to think through this stuff. Like Chibnall talks a lot about this show being for kids and for being about hope and all that. And like, this, you, oh, geez. You, you've got to, like the optics of that. Is, like it's weaponizing a person of color's race, like against them. Like I know the master is bad. From a blue eyed blonde too. Yeah. I know he's mm. bad, but if you're bringing in actual stuff like, the partition or real world Nazis into like Doctor Who, you need to treat it very seriously because otherwise it's yeah. Because great. what they should have had was the do which they should have had the Master executing uh, Noor. <laughs> well, the interesting thing is the actress for Noor filmed her death scene. We have an Instagram post from months and months back that has like the call markers for the location or where the concentration camp was and she's talking about filming it and all that. So they did film an execution scene for her, perhaps with the master presiding over it. And we didn't get it in this episode. Why is that? Because it would be horrible. 
<laughs> I'm going to say in advance, I don't think they would have had... I don't think whatever that scene was supposed to originally be, I don't think the master was going to be there, like, presiding over execution. I, I mean, I don't think the, I don't think that even complies with the narrative of the plot. Like, at that point, he'd already been exposed to the Nazis, whereas... And you're put in the, the camp or whatever. Ah, uh, good point. But at this point, I have no expectations for taste. I envision it having maybe been conceived as part of some sort of montage, like, showing the... The sad history of what ended up happening to Nor, whatever. But obviously, yes, it would have been an incredibly bad taste, which is why I wanted it so desperately, <laughs> and why I was so heartbroken that they cut it. Like I was only excited for one thing in this whole series, and it did not even fucking happen, which just sums <laughs> it all up, really. Well, Gig, there's so many more exciting things to happen in the future. What about Ruth? Oh, yeah, that's the point. That's the point. But before you go into Ruth, I just want to say they could, if they've got the Dachau scene like on the files, they can maybe use it in a later episode, like <laughs> in the finale, when they link all the previous characters back together. They can just, you know, maybe like you know, on the when she's about to be executed, like Nor sees a vision of like the timeless child or something calling out to her. No, 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 no. They get it. They get the extraction chamber and they pull <laughs> yes! Nor out yes! to help oh, with like... the the thing going up to help against the Stenza in the finale. <laughs> Slight problem, okay, using the extraction chamber would mean acknowledging that Hellbent happened, which is clearly completely off the table. Oh, yeah. That was interesting, because they, they said Bottle Universe, which Gallifrey is not in anymore. Yeah. Like, that was true as of the, the 50th special. It's not true as of Hellbent, where they're relocated to the end of the real main universe. All over my notes, I have repeated references to, this is Doctor Who for people who didn't watch Capaldi. Not only that, it seems to be Doctor Who for people by people who didn't watch Capaldi. <laughs> See, the thing with our Bottle Universe thing, like, obviously, there's two ways we can read that. Either it's a very useful way in which we can pretend that none of Chibnall's era is canon to the rest of the show, or we can say that the Master went to Gallifrey before it left the Bubble Universe and destroyed it then, meaning that none of Series 9, or indeed the Capaldi era, happened at all. It's been erased from time. <laughs> it's been erased from Doctor Who by the Master right there, right now, okay? None of, none of the clouds. Oh, none of that ever happened. So yeah. Even if Chris Chib I mean Chris Chibnall obviously watched Capaldi Who, let's not be silly. But even if he hadn't even if he hadn't watched Matt's last episode, in the fiftieth we have Tom Baker as the curator who <laughs> like leads Matt to Gallifrey saying, you know, Gallifrey falls no more. You know, that in the far future he's succeeded in saving Gallifrey and Gallifrey's back and it's a happy ending. The distant far future of two seasons from now. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like it's um it's a very grim, unchibnally thing to do to have Gallifrey utterly nuked. For the record, I really like this. I think the show works much better with a dead Gallifrey, and I'd never liked Moffat bringing it back, even though he did it the best way anyone could. Like, I loved the 50th, but I didn't like that choice, even though he executed it really well. So I'm happy about Gallifrey being destroyed, although the master doing it is a bit... Um, Bullshit? It's a bit full-on, yeah. Again, keeping in mind that this is Doctor Who people who skipped Capaldi, or indeed perhaps Moffat entirely, this would therefore tie in with the Master's comments back in uh, Sound of Drums, I believe, where he oh, says that yeah. you must have felt like God doing that. That's a good point. And the Master um, clearly hating the Time Lords in the end of time as well. There actually is interesting continuity with Sims Master here, lending credence to the idea that uh, this master comes after Sim, not after Missy. That's all quite interesting. No. <laughs> this, uh, this master comes after Missy. He actually uh, obliquely addresses that in the uh, scene in uh, Adelaide. Uh, how? Where? Wow, wow. 
He comes in and he says, when I kill them, I get a little buzz right here in my heart. It's like I'm in the right place doing what I was made for. This plus the Timeless Child revelation is all the explanation Chibnall is going to ever give to us as to why the Master turned evil again. I mean, okay, okay, this seems like, this whole Master debate, it seems to me like <laughs> a bit of a, it's a moot point. Because this question of, is he is he pre-Missy, is he post-Missy? Well, you know, the answer is neither. He simply does not exist in the same reality as Missy. You mm -hmm. know, I think yeah. trying, to, trying to reconcile, suffering by, you know, Stephen Moffat, or indeed even RTD, really, trying to reconcile any of those old good stories in response to something written by Chris Chibnall is the biggest mugs game on the fucking planet. <laughs> why would you bother? You know, why go back and take or try to rewrite those great pre-existing stories just for the sake of someone who can't even be bothered to put the resolution of one episode on screen. Who can't even be bothered to give, like, the companions any decent moments in this episode other than Graham tap dancing. Like, let's be serious here. I, I think we're overrating the same episodes to call them great episodes, but I might be an outlier. <laughs> okay, fair, fair enough. To be fair, um, there's the Doctor Falls. That's a sim episode. That's great. So. Is it a sim episode? I mean, well, it's an episode with Sim in it. And I think the sound of drums is good too. Hell, it's so good that Chibnall ripped it off for this episode yeah, as well. I, I actually do agree. If only he could have ripped off the last of the Time Lords. Yeah, now that I would have watched, you know. I mean, maybe maybe there's still time. There's the finale of this season. We yeah. can still have like, Jodie kind of glowing and floating into the air. Forgiving the last of the stenza. I, I feel yeah, like, forgive Tim Shaw I as well. I feel like what was being pulled off, the, pulled from the most rather was Curse of Fatal Death. Oh, yeah. 77 years and a sodding sewer. Bribing people to, bribing people in the past to outsmart traps and um, having to live the long way around through history to arrive back at like the present plot uh, and the general comedic tone. Also a blonde female doctor. Oh, True. Yeah. I think it is somewhat instructive that a plot point which Moffat wrote in that special as a joke, you know, a special that was kind of parodying Doctor Who and making fun of it, you know, using all that you know ridiculous kind of uh, machinations with going back in time and stuff. I think the fact that Chibnall is pulling from that almost directly <laughs> does not necessarily flatter uh, the ability to take seriously uh, his take on the show. Uh, you know, and in general, actually, not just Curse of Fatal Death, but this episode is like, it's like a sequence of bad cover versions strung together. You've got Blink, you've got Sound of Drums, you've got the Time War, you've got, I mean, you know, hell, I mean, you've got bits of Rosa in there, with, you know, telling historical figures to have hope. You know, yeah. It's like, it's just all over the place. Yeah, a long time ago I said that Saranga Conundrum was a 10 out of 10, and this <laughs> is what I was talking about. This is the best... This is how Chib this is what Chibnall does when he tries really hard. This weird fucked up wedding of river song thing. I mean, wedding of river song looks like a very coherent, you know, neat framework compared to this. And you know, see th this take that like Chibnall's tr trying really hard. This is a really ambitious episode. I mean, maybe, but when I look at it, I just think of something that's by someone who, to ex in a certain way, to a certain extent, has given up. Like this story feels to me like the work of someone who, to a certain extent, has given up on trying to do anything that means anything or has like a meaningful arc like even the shit in series 11 with graham and ryan at least there was some degree of i don't know work or like a i don't know 
like, oh, it's just, it's so, like, I mean, when it got to the point when we went from Master and Nazi regalia switching straight to, you know, Graham shooting lasers from his shoes and stuff, that's the point where it just seems like this episode is just, it is a, it's a randomly generated episode. It's a stream <laughs> of non-stop, rapid-fire, random garbage. It is literally like some, it's like no one's ever seen television before and we've just going to make it up as we go along. It's just, it's like improvisation. It's so freeform and it's just, it's like, okay, okay. I just, I'm gonna, I'm gonna stop ranting Gig. in two seconds. But like, you know Gig. how recently everyone's talking about how if you go and see the movie Cats, it feels like your brain's <laughs> being eaten by worms. Like <laughs> Cats was completely sane compared to this. You know, Cats was a relaxing like hour or two in the theater. This shit makes me feel like I'm going insane. But that's of like, it's like being on on drugs. Like it's not a bad thing. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I quite enjoy it now. I, like I never enjoyed series <laughs> eleven like this. But, I feel like I'm in a state of delirium every time I... Well, I was when I was watching both parts of Spyfall, but in a good way. I feel like the episode produces this, you know? This is... It's never uninteresting, and I think that's plenty to ask for in... So you're in saying television. that Who is better when you're sleep-deprived, and not just because it's an excellent sedative, but also because it makes more sense in that state? It's, it's lack of sense uh, plays <laughs> gentler on the mind. No, because I watched Series 11 in basically that state and didn't much care for it. This is a totally different animal to Series 11. This is... No episode in Series 11 was like this. Well, maybe it takes you away a little bit. But this is some kind of... I really do wonder what the fuck happened behind the scenes, because up until this point, let me be clear... I've never believed in chaos in Cardiff <laughs> until I watched <laughs> these made two you episodes. Because yeah. let me tell you, I don't know. Maybe I'm crazy. Does this story feel like maybe the master wasn't supposed to be in it until very soon before it was filmed? I mean, I don't know. Like, what do you envision being there instead? <laughs> like, it's not like uh, much of a solid plot to go in this place. Snatch the master out and pretty much expand uh, Lenny Henry's role to fill in the gaps. And that feels more like the sort of episode we had back in Series 11. I mean, that's practically um, uh, arachnids in the UK all over again. This... But the thing is, in Series 11, it would be a single-parter. This is a two-parter. How do you stretch that out to fill two hours of television? Or was that a last-minute decision as well? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I just don't feel like the Master is so poorly matched into this story. He has no place in the plot. His only part in the story is to be uh, something interesting to happen in the past, and, of course, whatever's going on with the ongoing story arc. I think, I mean, the Timeless Child was seeded since the Ghost Monument, right? Yeah, so yeah. Chibnall must have known he was going to go full tilt with it at some point in the future, and the Master's main function is to tell us about the Timeless Child, yeah. right? Or, was the Timeless Child supposed to be important back in the Ghost Monument? Um, yes, it was. I, I, I see, I get this shit from Neo as well. Like, <laughs> telling me, like, hey, that wasn't even a thing, the Timeless Child, it was just a random night. No, it's a blatant arc clue. They literally talk about it like the Doctor has memories that she can't access, and she's like, what do you mean? Yeah. What are you seeing? I, it's, I don't. It's, set, it's set up as a mystery, right? Like, it is. So, and, and here, and, you know, and they, of course, of course, they flash back to that scene in this yeah. episode, just to remind you that this is an arc, it's not something that's randomly popped up, even though it might as well have been. I can't blame them for thinking that people forgot what happened in 
the ghost monument. <laughs> Very true. I mean, that would also apply to virtually any of Series 11. Yeah. Uh, but seriously, I don't feel like the Master was supposed to be in this. I feel like he got clutched in. That might explain why they apparently filmed a concentration camp scene and then cut it out at the last minute. I don't think anything I, can explain why they filmed a concentration camp scene. <laughs> yeah. But do you know what I mean? It does not feel... Especially what we learned about uh, his casting, too, is a really odd detail that I've just been mulling over for a while. Because again, so the thing about how he he shot like really soon after he was cast, right? Yeah, Something like that. Filmed, uh, cast soon before filming. Please don't throw shot around right. in this context. <laughs> oh, okay, <laughs> fine then. <laughs> that that's an interesting. Like maybe and um, the different directors for the two episodes as well. Like maybe there was some sort of thing. Like they planned to do a historical ep here, sci-fi opener, but then they were like, oh shit, we have to like redo this whole thing. Let's make it a master story. I don't know. I mean, I find it a bit hard to believe it went that wrong, but I don't know. Neo, you've been strangely silent. Like, how are you feeling about all this? <laughs> when we say chaos in Cardiff, what exactly are we saying? Like, we um, we got confirmation. I don't know. At one point, from um, a person in the know, like actually in the know, not an unreliable spoiler hound, that an issue with series twelve was scripts coming so late, production was getting delayed. So if the idea is this was happening as early as the beginning, it might make some sense out of like the textual frenzy that is things like the sprinting line not being set up or elements of the second episode being so slapdash, huge scenes were getting dropped out towards the last minute. You need to have something finished to edit it and kind of fix it up and make it make sense. If you're just producing stuff as it comes, um, that might explain what I'm loving, like the madcap (laughs) nonsense of it. (laughs) Uh, what it reminds me of is um, the last episode that sort of felt like this. And I like this episode, but it has a lot of similar problems. Was the Angels Take Manhattan, which we know yeah. had drastic, enormous issues with production and writing to the point that it was basically filmed as a first draft. That's what this feels like. This doesn't feel like something that was this doesn't feel like something that it took a year to make let me put it that way i keep forgetting there was a gap year uh yeah, <laughs> yeah. It, was, it was a whole year which makes it all the stranger that there were delays in the writing and everything like chibnall was a professional i know he took his time with Broadchurch, but he always got those episodes finished you know and the show seemed to be produced fine like it's genuinely weird and so i don't want to resort to thinking that like um, oh, Chibnall's a terrible showrunner and he couldn't get the scripts out on time. Like, I don't want to resort to that because I think that's very cheap and kind of paranoia, the rest Chris Chip stuff. But when things are this weird, <laughs> like you, you you look for some explanation and I don't want the explanation to just be that they thought this was good. i mean you know if they did think this was good they would not be alone because the reception to this episode has been broadly quite positive i mean yeah i've seen loads of good reviews for it it's got 72 percent of rotten tomatoes and shit like people say oh it's a thrilling return this is why i gotta say this is the best episode since the waters of mars you know (laughs) 
<laughs> credit where due, credit where due. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's the sort of thing that makes me ask a question that a very wise man, perhaps even a poet, once asked, which is, what is this medium we call television? <laughs> and, you know, by extension, more to the point, what does it even mean to watch or enjoy Doctor Who? Like, what, what is storytelling? Like, what, what is enjoyment? What is uh, life? Like, gig, just, what, gig, I, gig, you know, it really, it gig, genuinely baby, confuses me. Calm down. What? What is it? You're freaking <laughs> I can't out. Help it. You're freaking like, out about an episode written by Chris um, Chibnall. Yeah, an episode of a children's TV show, no less. But nonetheless, it, I I do find when I read people gushing about how great the the I don't know the, the chemistry of you know the Master and Jody or how epic the reveal of Gallifrey's new king Whoa. was, I, I I I find myself really puzzled because like if this is what people consider good Doctor Who, right? I mean, was Doctor Who actually good at any point? Like it, it's like <laughs> it's like a gaslighting thing. I start to feel like I'm going insane. Like retroactively, it's some Berenstain Bears shit. Was the show ever? <laughs> <laughs> watching um Stephen Moffat's Dracula, Stephen Moffat and Mark Gatiss's Dracula very recently, um, and you know, seeing years and years, uh, well, seeing the first four or five episodes of years and years um, <laughs> earlier last year, oh, yeah, the first six episodes of Watchmen, maybe. <laughs> it reminds me that there were once like proper, full-on writers, you know, writing the show, and there were always issues. There were issues to be had with both those guys' runs for sure, but those were actual, you know, real writers writing this show and that grounds me and it reminds me that this show used to be if not good it used to be um you know proper <laughs> but <laughs> legitimate yeah. it used to be on purpose yeah but yeah that's the good way of putting I'm, it. <laughs> i've i've not i've watched broadchurch two times i feel like i have a hot take to formulate on the third but my cold take now is that it was a quite a good show and so like chibnall seems like a legitimate guy and but yeah it's so but i've got to say is anyone um, enjoying it the way I am. I, I think that a better way to put it would be that whether you're enjoying it ironically or sincerely or as an act of absurdity, you're still enjoying it. It's still fun to watch. Yeah. It's funny. Gig, I'm sure yeah. even you can agree that at times it's funny. I did laugh at you numerous laughed, yeah. points during it, yeah. like at it, and maybe a little bit with it sometimes, but mostly at it, and also at myself and at the world. Like it's one of those things. It's it's like a you know life's a comedy kind of thing. You're you know, also having, <laughs> you're also <laughs> having social, um, you know, this, there's a social quality to it. Here we are, we're discussing this crazy True. crap episode of Doctor Who. I mean, I've had more fun like discussing this with you guys for the last like twenty six minutes than I have with most of Chibnall Who, right? So, yeah. yeah. Part of the fun is shitting on it as well. For all you can say about what's not working, like it's working in entertaining us and making us talk, which Series Eleven usually failed at for all the wrong reasons. And there's plenty of people who are enjoying it on other levels. I mean, Doctor, yeah. this is going to sound really trite and stupid, and you can imagine Murray Gold music playing while I say all this. I certainly am. Doctor Who means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. For some people, it is basically just emotional pornography, you know? It's something that you watch to feel, to get the feels. But, uh, and sometimes it's, for us, maybe it's more about the puzzle box for me. It honestly is about the puzzle box. And for, it could be about the, uh, the fractals in the storytelling or, um, the qualities of the performances. And it's gonna have different qualities to different people. And sometimes it's just not the show that you want it to be. 
I mean, for a long time, it wasn't the show I wanted it to be. But then, when it was the show that I wanted it to be, it uh, got really bad ratings and everybody hated it. So, what do I know? Well, you know, at least we had it, you know, and that's one yeah. of the things that you've got to be at peace with the fact that your preferred version of the show will end at some point or has ended. So, you know, it's, there's no point in getting. I, I, I'm not at the stage where I'm really like in, innovated about this shit anymore. It's just dark and weird and morbidly funny to me and twisted. So, yeah, I still sometimes feel like I'm going insane seeing people gush over it so much. But you know, that's just me. My preferred version of the show was the version with said Murray Gold music playing, so I've been <laughs> scrambling for yeah. something to anchor me, and I haven't got it until Spyfall, where just the sheer nonsense of it all is proving really captivating. Actually, mentioning that, I really felt that Segan stepped up his game this episode. Uh, this two-parter, rather. I think because he has something to work off of, you know? Do you mean the James Bond theme? Yeah. That, and then there's also musical cues in this that and repeating motifs and all sorts of things that just weren't in almost all of Series 11, even the episodes I liked. I don't dislike Sagan at all. In fact, I might have listened to his um, Series 11 album once or twice, but uh, <laughs> I, I find his stuff sits, like, even at its best, it's not being written the way Gold's ostentatious stuff was, and that's fine, but... You know, you miss you miss that stuff. Even even Sagan doing a gold kind of pastiche, is, it's not the same as like being screamed at how to feel. I miss that so much. Yeah, it's see that's another thing. We love that. We love that. And there's people who, for the, them, that was the single worst part of the last ten years of Doctor Who. And are they crazy? Gig, shut up. I was not going to work out. You were thinking it. I could hear you. (laughs) I mean, there's people out there there who like Kef, okay? Yeah, there's people out there, definitely. Far away from here who like (laughs) Kef, absolutely. Um, I was just, uh, it, it struck me like, I mean... There's obviously there's a gold approach to soundtracks, but like um, Sagan, when he first got announced, he mentioned a list, a big list of his uh, influences, and one of them was a uh, Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross, right? Mm. Who, you know, multiple people in this chat, you know, love, right? You know, I love Trent and Reznor, Trent Reznor and <laughs> Trent and Reznor, <laughs> Trent and Atticus, yeah, they're great. And but I, you know, and but nonetheless, I I find Sagan's approach to that kind of subtle scoring to just be not very like satisfying. So I don't know, like you know, it's a matter of opinion at the end of the day, but like it's a, I do not consider Sagan and stuff to be like a really major issue with the episodes like there's just so much other shit going on it's not the most <laughs> interesting thing to complain about what did what did you think of ada lovelace this episode they held hands who did ada and the doctor oh okay <laughs> they held hands well, I mean, one thing is Ada Lovelace isn't going to think anything about Ada in this episode because she can't remember it happened. <laughs> Pitifully Ironically, I forgot that happened when I rewatched it. <laughs> uh. God, that was so bad. And she begged not to be mind wiped, too. Yeah, she went full Donna. She went full oh. Donna. She's like, please don't do it. <laughs> and the doctor just went just ice cold, just destroyed it. It was crazy. <laughs> like... It's just such a lack of self-awareness that honestly, like, I, I could forgive, you know, the Doctor, like, mind-wiping, you know, historical characters or whatever, if there was some sort of, even an attempt to negotiate with it. Like, I don't know, maybe the Doctor could persuade them that it's for the best by being really nice and friendly and then, you know, pillar of hope and all that shit, but they, they don't bother. It's really freaky. The Doctor didn't mind-wipe Elizabeth the first. Yeah, good point, good point. I feel like in RTD's days, 
we weren't as like trope interrogating as this. Like you could just not mind white people and like no, your fans wouldn't go. But then how would they? You know, it was like more of a joke, like in the Shakespeare episode. And then Moffat's era was very tone interrogatory, and so we got, you know, mind wipes prodded out a lot more. Ultimately, we got like a huge thing about why they're bad in Hellbent and the pilot. So, like, for I don't even understand, like, why draw attention to the discrepancy of these people remembering the Doctor at all? Like, you can just not bring it up. It's like... <laughs> Didn't mind wipe Rosa. Mm. Yeah, exactly. Like, you don't, you don't need to... You're the... Like, no one's forcing these elements in the script. You're the one who comes up with saying, oh, we got to mind wipe these people. How about this? Didn't mind wipe Yaz's grandma. And that could actually have serious consequences, considering that's her, you know, grandma. Yeah. <laughs> it strikes me there's a very strange sense of priority going on, because obviously not just a thing of stopping off to mind-wipe the historical characters, but, like, the fact that we see uh, a fully realised depiction of the Doctor preparing the plane and the instruction manual for how to write the plane and recording the video for the plane, but we don't see how she defeats the antagonist of the story. It's like... It, <laughs> Just, just, just fixating on the most mundane, useless shit that doesn't need to be there. Uh, not if, caring about the stuff that does need to be there. If Chibnall wrote Blink, there would be no scene set in 1969. <laughs> it's so ridiculous. Oh, I got another one for you. Didn't mind wipe Babbage, who oh yeah, took every, who took part in the entire story as well up mm, until you know. God. I mean, so the point at which the historical stuff just got so bizarre for me was when the Doctor took Ada with her into World War II. I like, like that. Why was that necessary? I mean, I mean, yeah, okay, it was fun, but it was just like, why was any of this necessary? And ultimately, it struck me that the whole stuff with Ada and Nor, all of that, like, the, the only reason for that is so we can get that girl power moment of yeah. the whole walking out Avengers Endgame style to face the Master. Yeah. It's like, hey, you know, sisters doing it for each other, the historical women... Yeah, it's like it's such a it's such a tokenistic approach to historical characters, and it just oh, it just annoys me when you've got stuff that should be treated sensitively, like Nazis and shit, and you're in a story that's just a a, a sprawling two-hour romp of sheer insanity. It just it's one of those things that makes me think that actually maybe yeah, maybe we shouldn't do Doctor Who anymore. Like maybe we should just stop if this is what it is. <laughs> but did you not did you not like how the Doctor left Nor unconscious with the floorboards up in a house? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I've seen I've seen speculation that the Doctor essentially led the SS to Nor, and she's the reason that she gets captured and sent to Dachau concentration camp. Which I really hope that is not the case. But on like, the it's, other it's hand, where, they, yeah. they did intercept her transmission to Britain. So yeah, fuck. <laughs> To, 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 to avoid dwelling on the, the, the sheer darkness of that for a moment, I mean, the whole, the whole way in which the, the Doctor dealt with the Master, like the fact that she, she records him monologuing about how he's going to you know, backstab his allies this week, and she plays the recording, causing, causing his allies of the week to turn on him and strand him in the forest where he screams, Doctor, as the camera pans away from him. It's such a... 
it's uh, you know last week i was talking about how this use of the master felt like a sort of reversion to that sort of cheap kind of monster of the week form of the character and this is just so that yeah they've just gone like okay what's the most cliched way of stopping the master and they've just, they've just you know they've just done that and it's just what is the fucking point of bringing back this character if you can't even iterate on the kind of storytelling we were getting decades ago fine. i mean sure sure if this story transmitted in like <laughs> 1973 it would be considered a, like some kind of pioneering work of brilliance and then decades later it'd be re-evaluated as a bit shit actually but it's 2020 it's 2020 we've moved on you've got to watch it in a vacuum and have fun with it Generally. you gotta turn off your brain gig <laughs> Look, i wish i could turn off my brain it's it makes me want to turn off my brain as well as the rest of my vital organs to be quite frank the show is over you have three minutes to prepare <laughs> oh my god that reminds me the scenes with Yaz's family in this episode how <laughs> pointless <laughs> I mean um, there was conspiracy. like shots of like her dad her mum her sister like the whole yeah yeah the dad mentions conspiracies again that's his character trait you know the, and, it's and Yaz got her Martha scene where you know, yeah. her family and like oh we're, we're wanted fugitives which they didn't resolve at the end by the way they're still wanted fugitives <laughs> Well, no, the guy who made them wanted fugitives then tried to destroy the world, maybe, it's hard to say, and then got I mean, an extraction. Uh, that guy getting uh, everything screwed up, I'm totally fine with him not showing up. Or, or with them. <laughs> I don't know about him getting away at the end, that was kind of stupid, but I'm fine with the idea that that's resolved. <laughs> Do you know, it struck me, that whole moment when the Doctor like defeats the plan and the humanity reformatting thing shuts down about like 30 seconds after starting up, and the Master, you know, kind of petulantly goes, a bit, and Lenny Henry immediately, oh shit, extraction team now, and just books it out of there. Like, it was so, it was such like, ran score on steroids yeah, vibes. It was, in that it episode, was series 11. <laughs> yeah, in that episode, you get the Earth getting about to get, you know, destroyed. No more witch hunts. Later. Like, the, the stakes just go from 1,000 then back to zero in no time at all and it was just that again it's like oh, when Crasco yeah. gets zapped out like 15 minutes before the end of that episode <laughs> I think the doctor's line that like fascism's over soon don't worry about it reads oddly when Crasco is like from loads and loads and loads of time into the future and we know like they're still fascisting about <laughs> for that matter yeah the fam is only like 80 years into the future I, mean, I think it reads oddly about a month after Boris Johnson won the general election, but hey, yeah. that's just my opinion. <laughs> no, I mean, obviously, it's, it's just crap in general. Like, if you go back to World War II, and all you can think to say on that front, all you can surmise from this setting as like a, as an era, as a period, as like a history in which to comment, is, ooh, it's such dark times, but there is light. Darkness <laughs> never sustains. Like, holy fucking shit. Like, wh what's even the point? I just... Oh, I'm so fucking done with all of this. Um, are we thinking the um, the Kisavun, the white glowy aliens, are they the Time Lords that somehow got squirreled away to another dimension before the nuking or something? I've seen this idea floated. No. They're the Vord. They're the Vord, obviously. This is... Look at their heads. People have been saying this exact same thing about every newly introduced alien since, what, the Weeping Angels, if not further back? It's never the Time Lords. The Time Lords are the Time Lords, and they're off in the future, or the afterlife, or whatever. <laughs> they're in the Matrix now. Yeah. In the Nethersphere. Yeah, it doesn't... It, it's it's never going to be the Time Lords. Well, the, yeah, the, the monks like, are not the Time Lords. 
When last week when we had the Kasavans kind of being these white blobs and phasing through walls and stuff and we saw their weirdly shaped heads, I was sure that at some point They're also the not the, two, the boneless are also not the time lords. <laughs> Yeah, but like, you know, they just stayed as white blobs and they don't even do yeah. the cool wall phasing thing in this episode. Yeah. So they actually got worse as a monster. You know, they're sniper bot tier now. They don't even get any more funny, like, villain lines like, ooh, beyond your understanding. Ooh, booyah. They don't even get any more of that. Like, it's just that's boring. Calm down, yeah. Jesus Christ! <sighs> Look, okay, okay, okay. okay. I sh- I, let me admit here, I've never laid into an episode like this on the podcast before, and I'm really enjoying it. So just, you know, <laughs> let, let, let me vibe. You know, okay, go ahead, go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> no, I'm done now. So what, someone else say something. What did we think of the Master Needle scene, telling the Doctor to kneel and submit and such? Well, I actually really liked that because I in that scene, in in that scene, we get the Master sort of. Proving not just to the doctor, but almost to himself that he really is what he's always said he was. You know, that earlier I said that's sort of their response to Missy. That's really the part where it fully comes together. And also it's hot. I mean, to a certain extent, it's just, it's yet another cover version of the same scene from Sound of Drums, but with kneeling added now, which, which, okay, fair, it's an innovation, seeing the Doctor actually... On the downside, it is more head. Yes, it is, that's a big... I mean, it seems like a big direction for the Master in this story, is basically just, okay, play it as he really wants to bang the Doctor in every single scene they have together, and that's just the whole relationship now. It annoys me, actually, because part of the... (laughs) Now! (laughs) Okay, 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 one thing, right, one thing. Something that annoyed me back in the Missy days was that, like, obviously it wasn't really the fault of Moffat or Missy in particular, but that, like, they only got as far as kissing on the lips once it was a relationship, (laughs) right? Like, once it was a man and a woman, and the fact that we're, like, we're a female doctor now but now we're back to a male master so it's still het and it's like mm-hmm. why no i just want i just want some gay tension with the doctor and that's the master true again. it should have been we get this back it's so unfair should have been a female master in this showrunner's era i don't think you'd really want that i think that would spell certain doom good point the characters <laughs> <laughs> i mean to be fair if it meant they both died and regenerated that might be a good thing so. <laughs> <sighs> So why didn't uh, Graham's laser shoe go off when he stomped on the phone? He wasn't doing the other been... shoes up all yet. No, no, it was. He was wearing the same shoes. I watched. He Maybe was the doing the shuffle. The impact. You know the what? That's probably the impact, and that yeah, must be it. That's the only thing that makes sense. <laughs> you know that that soft shoe shuffle line was genuinely great. It's Graham's first great moment, like as a character. Maybe Bradley Walsh's first great moment as an actor as well. Maybe even <laughs> Chibnall's first great moment as a writer. Just a fantastic line. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just uh, funny. Like, it's funny. That but unironically like, iconic. <laughs> You know, I think the I think the laser shoe shit is the only part of this episode that will stay with me for like longer than a, a, a few months. <laughs> Oh dear. You know, the fact that we go from that to the ending of this episode where the Doctor is, you know, throwing her doohickey across the TARDIS room because she just found out that her whole, like, race has been exterminated again. And then she pulls that face at the camera with, like, kind of quivering lips for a bit and it's like, ooh, really dark, such angst. Can I say, oh, I loved, <laughs> go on. I loved that moment for one ridiculous reason, which is that we then get the audio of the next scene of the fam talking to her and for just a second it seems like they were there during the whole scene with the master's hologram it's like a bus game rest of the uh, 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know that final scene with the companions. Um, it seems like that seems that's so flagged up as a payoff to some whole thing of oh, the Doctor's finally going to open up about her secret history to the fam who have been you know just so curious about her, and then like she she tells them and she's like, any questions? And we get Ryan silent, Yaz is silent, and Graham's like loads, and then they just don't continue. <laughs> she gives them. Basically about as much as uh, Tennant gave those people on the crashing Titanic. Yeah. <laughs> uh, oh my god. Yeah, in my notes I have here, any questions? Loads. Start with, right, what was the thing for midnight? And was that really you from the future as the curator? And what's going on with <laughs> So who was the other, Doc? And who is the timeless child? That's a real yeah. question. Yeah. We haven't talked about Ruth yet. We need to get onto that at some point. <laughs> oh God, we should we should wait. We should hold off on Ruth until oh, we know that it's actually happening. Yeah, but wow. But so the moment we get a character in the Jadun episode called Ruth, then we can go full tilt on the Ruth. Just like with the just like freaking out about Sasha showing up yeah, in the last episode. Yeah. Okay, I'm down. <laughs> oh, that's gonna be great. But back to the master. Uh, I love him. I love this master. Sasha, Sasha Dewan just elevates material, so I'm really looking forward to this master having an actually decent writer sometime in the elevates future. Material is that because he's really good at acting, or because he's cute, or both? Both. Have you seen Iron Fist? You don't have to. Yeah, that, that was I've, a stupid I've question. Seen, I've seen clips from Iron Fist where he has his head shaven. Yeah, I apologize for having asked if you'd even watched it, because... <laughs> Can I just say, I really don't like it when his head is shaven, so when they did that halfway through this episode, it verged the shit out of me. I much <laughs> prefer him with luscious Matt Smith-esque locks. Oh, yeah. Uh, the Vinay poof. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> this is this chat is getting very uh, this chat is getting very thirsty. I think we should maybe dial it back well, a bit. <laughs> I'll, I'll like it. Well, on my um tongue. <laughs> okay, so... Go on, Neo, go on. Um... I, I I don't have that much to say on that front, surely. But I I, I I really enjoy his acting. I think I think it's a really fun performance. I like that he's the actor's really thought about it. Like in these interviews and stuff, he's really into the character. And you know, he's watching past episodes and he's trying to work out where he can take this. And you know, bless him with he the scripts he's getting. But like he's he's doing his thing. It's really working for me. I find him hugely entertaining. He feels very varied. He's bringing a lot to the character. I mean, I know you guys were complaining about him jumping around clapping last episode. I, I like that. that. He does a bit of that sort of thing in this, like when he's growling or when he's banging his head. It's very amusing. But he's also bringing all these other weird little tricks and treats to the role, like um, when he does the German 3 while talking about things being win-win-win. Oh, I thought that was a beautiful yeah. little reference, especially considering they ripped off an entire scene from Inglorious Bastards earlier on in the episode. I think with um, his master in general, I, I, I want there to be more of an obviously coherent take that solidifies it all. Like, I think I think if maybe if he played up the whole kind of little freaky hermit incel aspect that I kind of get from him <laughs> a little bit. Like, I, I, I would love that. I, I think, and that would be like a genuinely kind of new take as well. I think at the moment, it's still a bit vague, a bit wibbly wobbly. Like, he, you know, he screams, he looks <laughs> damaged and he looks really like sad when he talks about the time as a child and or he gets really angry at stuff. But, you know, I mean, yeah, he's doing it well. But I just, I st I'm just not that interested in what he's doing, you know. And when they revealed his costume in those promo photos, and he dresses like Hartnell, I'm like, what That's the great. fuck? Where did that come from? 
It's it's a past thing. Doesn't that make you happy? It's like an old thing, but it's <laughs> <laughs> it reminds me of um, it reminds me actually of the uh, of the Dream Lord uh, showing Ooh, up in a good, good catch, good catch. Showing up in a bow tie, and then later yeah, on a robe. Like I could totally see Chibnall uh, retconning the Dream Lord to have been this master or something somehow. <laughs> <laughs> that would be so sad. <laughs> Can you imagine if when the master next turns up, he's wearing like a parody of Jody's costume, like with the, the, the rainbow? I would actually <laughs> really like that. I would. Well, actually, I suppose now that I think about it, he was kind of wearing a parody of her costume in this episode, what with the really long coat. Only his had like these silver lapels on it. I didn't get a good look at. Wait, them, do you mean when he was wearing? I was pretty the sure that it was. Or? Yeah, I was pretty sure there was some <laughs> something. I'm pretty sure. That in that scene, so just, just he was dressed as a specific reference to Jodie Whittaker's doctor. <laughs> <laughs> okay, no, I, I think I get what you're going with. It. That's quite take. Neo, you were saying something before you rudely interrupted. Please enlighten <laughs> us. This is a thing with... It, it's interesting, because with Sim, this didn't work for me so much. But there's a type of acting which is just like super frantic, frenzied, over-the-top ostentatious attention grabbing the David Tennant school of acting <laughs> no, it's not it's a specific thing with villains um, Sim did this kind of thing and like we see Jared Leto do it with the Joker and it's just like going completely insane Tennant actually does do that a lot yeah abandoning all the David Tennant and Harry Potter school of acting yeah then. yeah Tennant and Harry Potter absolutely and I think that's just some people have no time for that and like it just doesn't amuse or entertain them I love it with what Sasha's doing. It's really working for me here. With Sim, it amused me, but I kind of took the show more seriously then. And so, like, that character doesn't mm. always work for me. But now, what I'm just looking for bright, shiny things on the screen, like his his mania is just, it's it's, it's beautiful to me. Um, it's entertaining. It's a, you know, bright, fun distraction. It's great. Yeah. For what it's worth, when he burst in with the top hat and just started screaming at everyone, like, don't move! Ah! Like, I was genuinely enjoying that. Like, it's The incredible it's shrinking so... lady. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was just it was just so utterly unhinged at that moment that I was actually, like, I was, I was totally into it. <laughs> like, I mean, I, I felt it kind of, it's sort of whatever. Like, I feel very bleh about everything, but, like, just that little moment was very fun. And also, I just, if he's dressing up in ridiculous costumes, absolutely play that up more, because that, yeah. yeah. that just enhances the stupidity. I do like thing. that. He's been he wore a different costume in every scene in this uh, two parter, didn't he? More or less, I th I think what I'm really feeling with him here is um, Eric Roberts from the Paul McGann TV movie. Like, in a good way. Yeah, yeah, they're like the dresses for the occasion. The crazy costumes, dressing for the occasion, like the weird over the topness of how he's playing. Imagine it. him in Time Lord robes, like Eric Roberts at the climax TV movie. Oh my god! Oh god, I can't wait. <laughs> <laughs> that was so uncalled for. <laughs> but yes. Uh, hey, I've got a new microphone. i got to do that every now and then. Yeah, yeah I, can think, I can think of a master costume I'd like to see uh, Sasha in. Um, John Sim in his first scene in The End of Time, part one, when he's getting resurrected by Lucy. Oh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's the one Neil wants to see, too. <laughs> right, moving on, moving on. Moving I, swiftly on. I do want to see... Uh, Jody tied up again, like uh, Tenet was back in the end of time. That would be really good. Worst Uber ever. Oh, God. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, to, to, to just to try and briefly write this back onto talking about the episode, um, one of the observations I've got down here is that Chibnall um, 
free association strings together bits of like fragments and cliches of new who episodes to produce something that feels a bit like a bit like a parody of what people who don't watch the show think it's like like mm-hmm. i think if, if someone if someone hadn't watched doctor who but they really didn't like the sound of it and they watched this it would vindicate them so utterly because it just leans into all those incredibly kind of crap aspects of doctor who as a concept like let's just you know heritage theme park version of history let's just play about with nazis yeah it's just the very superficial takes on everything there the kind of oh i went back in time and did this you know plot excuse get out it's love a laminator pointless yeah you know incredibly kind of kind of crude humor all over the place you know the villain just disappears you know all that sort of thing it's 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 just yeah it's a bit like it's almost and those curse of curse of fatal death um influences are kind of inform that that sense of it being like a parody almost it's so crazy how chibnall has fast forwarded to this of all things (laughs) you're not the um, only one that can do classic yeah. <laughs> a lot of this episode felt like a very n- intentional Moffat pastiche, not just the, uh, and uh, uh, you know, out of order time loop storytelling. Yeah. yeah. But also, like, the two historical settings we see uh, 1800s and World War II. That's. Oh, good point. Those are yeah. key Moffat ones, aren't they? There's, uh, one Damn. Here, uh, actually, a whole bunch. The time loops, the World War II setting, the continuity references, and the Doctor talking to herself all label this as a Moffat pastiche. I wrote that during the first scene, I think, when she's uh, sort of heaven scenting to herself. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Actually, that gave me adult life skills vibe when she's doing the thumb puppet thing and sort of talking to herself that as well. But yeah, okay. But yeah, that was a very kind of Chib does heaven scent. And it went exactly as you'd expect Chib does heaven scent to go. So there you There's go. a thought. Ooh. Yeah. Oh, don't even. Oh. Yeah. Can you imagine if he does that at some point, like his final episode, just, just <laughs> Jody for the whole episode, just Chibnall, oh. just pure, unfiltered Chib Kino, like, I'm so down for that. There's, um, but actually, speaking of uh, Heaven Sent and Hellbent earlier, there is one part of this episode that does seem like it's intended for people who watched the Capaldi era, aside from maybe reading too much into what the Master talks about earlier, is at the end... The thing that she pulls out of her coat that I guess he somehow planted on her, even though she wasn't wearing those clothes at the time, I'm almost positive that that's a confession dial. Because look mean, at it. It just looked like a weird orange gem, like everything it's else. It's a circle, does. and it talks to her, and she. Th- I think it's a confession dial. I think that's a reach. <laughs> you know, speaking of confessions, I loved... Lenny Henry's character because it felt like it's such it felt like a big miscast like his <laughs> demeanor really did not fit like this Steve Jobs Zuckerberg type of character at all and like he didn't even seem to be playing it like that he was playing him kind of flatter and a bit barkier and I was I was I was quite enjoying that I wish we'd gotten the climax with him in the actual episode there was a line he had which was amazing, which was, um, hello friends, or should I say plain thieves. That needs to go in the, the logbook of classic Chibnall lines. It's very, it's very Bond parody, fittingly, for this. It, it's, he's mm. not playing, he's not playing Mark Zuckerberg, he's playing, um, Yafet Koto in, uh, 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 you won't, no, which one? Uh, Live and Let Die. Yeah. It's, well, you know, speaking of James Bond, think of them as Russia, but bigger. <sighs> Oh my god! (laughs) 
what did Chibnall mean by this? Was that just one of those like Russia Gate kind of things where we just we, we're just Russophobic now? That's our basic modus operandi default for modern liberal culture. We just shit on Russia. Every oh my time, God! Every I know day. what it is. I know what it is. It, it, it yeah. could be espionage aimed at us by Russians. <gasps> oh my God! Do you think Vaughn was behind Jack Robertson and his campaign? To, uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, that episode like, did feature Vaughn. Like, so. Mm. Oh yeah, it did. It actually did as well. <laughs> this one didn't, unfortunately. But, you know, uh, uh, I feel like like a lot of the politically misjudged things in series eleven and twelve sting, but when you actually like be like pulling it to Russia like that, it kind of hurts a bit more directly. Like, I've always thought that you guys were very reasonable. <laughs> <laughs> I love that line. I heard. I saw people complaining about that line. Come on, that's funny. Yeah. I know it's dark humor, but it's funny. The whole the whole Nazi master thing. I mean, you know, the fact that Chibnall decides that our first experience of a Time Lord going through racism is uh, a, a <laughs> yeah, it is, isn't it? Oh, by the Nazis. I, I okay. I will say one thing in maybe defense of this is that there is a certain there's a certain message you could maybe show with like a person of color main character, a villainous character, throwing their lot in with white supremacists because that happens in real life. Okay, you've got all, all kinds of figures like that in real life. Yeah, you know, Candace. Owens, that sort of person, that that happens, and you know, in the end, the white supremacists turn on them, that's what happens. But the problem with trying to do that here is that the master is a magic alien, so it's just like, and you know, and, and he gets he gets exposed because the doctor turns off his magic white filter or something, so it's just like his white face, resonance to that just vanishes, yeah, his and, white it's, face. and it seems People like wear it, masks are dangerous. It seems like it hurts him too. Did you notice that when she turns it yeah, off, he goes, ah! his face, yeah. <laughs> okay, I have to say, um, the Doctor kind of dismissing Ada and Nora at the end, it just reminded me of the Ux, except instead of telling them to keep faith, she's telling them to keep hope. It was just ran score, like, right back in that mode. I was just, oh god, I, I just fucking can't anymore. I think expecting the Saints <sighs> to remember what the Ux are is a big ask. <laughs> <laughs> the, okay. The, the scene where... The, the brief flash we get of presumably the timeless child standing presumably in front of the pillar of hope. Uh, the voice whispering, the timeless child, sounds kind of like a Dalek. So I I'm guess that's where it's this just the remnants again from the ghost. Monument. So I, th- I think it's going to be the uh, the nightmare child. Oh, do you mean that really big Dalek? Yes. Yes. <laughs> nice. Nice. That nice. really big Dalek. Um, uh, piloted by um, Courtney, uh, Courtney. Yes. Yeah. How will the master get out of this one? Do you think through maximum carnage? It's the the scene with I know we said we were gonna finish off, but the speech that he gives at the end, the Kino speech, is so <laughs> yeah. bad. It's so badly written and badly directed. It feels like a David Dakota film. Again, bringing back. Eric Roberts. You kept clicking agree. It's just like, oh, you gave us sub your, 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 your data. And why did it take the doctor's virus so long to kick in? What were his motivations? Why did he want to make humans into hard drives again? Who's going to be using these? What systems was he talking about? Was there some sort of advanced AI that was going to be using these hard drives? Like, what, what, why were the Kasavin kidnapping people from the past? And also, they keep saying that they have sleeper agents. Are they... Do they? Can they take human form? And why were the Kasavin working with Lenny Henry? What? Why? What? How did their interests align at all? What did, did the Kasavin want? Human hard drives? What? They're also <laughs> trying to take over the whole universe, 
And at the end, the doctor says, this planet is off limits. So presumably, <laughs> free reign on the rest of the universe. <laughs> I, na I name you the pointless. That's in the episode. Uh, <laughs> I think the stuff makes sense, because wanting human hard drives and secretly being the Time Lords, they just want to redo the Matrix. That's a written. Pillar of hope. That's a written. Very cliche. That's a written. Pillar of hope. That's a written. Very cliche. That's a written. Pillar of hope. That's a written. Very cliche. That's a written. Pillar of hope. That's a written. Very cliche. But I still felt that that story was fairly um, boring. That's all this series. You don't even have to watch it in order. That's a written. Very cliche.